a strong tower. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. If you're uh, with us this morning for the first time, we want to welcome you again. We're glad you could be our guest here at Strong Tower. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we turn to God's Word. It should be on the screen behind me as well if you need a copy or you can use your phone or tablet or whatever you got. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Looking at verses 7 through 11. 7 through 11. If you're there, say amen. Or say hold up. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 7, hear the reading of God's word. To each is given, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the ability to, sorry, to the other, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the common church the common church. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word that gives us life. It is the living word. And Lord, just as we sang earlier, you come in that living word as the person of Jesus Christ to speak to us the greatest word, to give to us the revelation of yourself that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might experience your grace for all eternity because you have spoken so God, we pray that you would continue to speak today through your word here in this service, that your spirit might have his way. Speak to us in the depths of our hearts, our minds, our souls, that we might be transformed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Since 1944, the Golden Globe Awards have recognized Hollywood's best. And really, it's, it's this award show to, to kind of gather together all of the best in one room and recognize these people for their achievements over the past year. And just a few years ago, there was an award show, their annual show, where Jim Carrey, actor and comedian Jim Carrey, was given the privilege of introducing that year's nominees for Best Comedian or best com uh, comedy movie, actually. And so he's given this privilege to go on the stage, and the announcer announces when it comes to that time, let's welcome two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey to the stage. And everybody starts cheering, and they're, they're celebrating, and, and all the lights come down on the center of the stage where the microphone is, and Jim Carrey walks out as people are praising him for his achievements. And he walks up to the mic with his typical grin, and he says... That's right, that's right, everybody. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And then everybody kind of awkwardly laughs, like, yeah, we know that's who you are. And then he pauses and he says, and when I go to bed at night, 
I just don't go to sleep as any old guy, any old person. I go to sleep at night as two-time Golden Globe winning Jim Carrey. And everybody starts to laugh a little bit more. And, and then he says, but when I dream at night, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir, I, I don't do that. I dream of being three-time Golden Globe winning Jim Carrey. And everybody starts to get a little uncomfortable with that. And then he says this. He says, because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. And this room full of the world's most famous people in the film industry started to get a little quiet. And he starts to talk about the, the vastness of the cosmos and how insignificantly we seem as this little tiny blip on the radar. And he says, but these awards are so significant, I promise, they really do matter. <laughs> he says, from our perspective, this is huge. And he goes on to introduce the nominees. But, but he spoke deeply in that moment to our soul, didn't he? I mean, all of us in our culture, we're, there, there's this obsession in our culture to be famous. There's this obsession that, that we would be known. It might be, or it might not be the, the sense of fame, like you're going to be in a Hollywood movie and, and you're going to win a, a Golden Globe, but, but we want to be known, we want to be seen, we want to be unique, we want to be special. For some of us, our greatest fear in life is that we would just be typical. Your greatest fear might be that you're, you're just common. You're just an everyday gal. Your greatest fear is that you wouldn't do something to make your mark and to be special and to be known and be this, this person that everyone looks up to and says, wow, aren't they incredible? Right? We're all, in his words, we're all on our own terrible search for that third winning prize where we'll finally be fulfilled or not, right? When we get there, we realize it's not what it was or, or what we thought it was going to be. And so we, we put all this effort, we put all this, this hard work into becoming somebody we hope will finally fulfill us, and it doesn't. And yet we're obsessed. And I think, I think this fame culture that we live in for sure shapes the church, where, where in some, some way, somehow, we've gotten convinced that, that the goal of the church, the goal of my relationship with God is to somehow make me significant, to make me famous, to make me special and unique and, and different, to stand out from the crowd. And yet God's vision of his church is the complete opposite. It isn't fame, it's faithfulness. And listen, faithfulness looks a lot more like being common, like being common. And so we're continuing this series today that we started last week, and we're looking at what it means to be Strong Tower. The series is called We Are Strong Tower. What does it mean for us to be God's people together in this church? And so uh, every year we kind of pick a different theme that, that fits into this broad theme of what it means to be the church. And this year we're looking at spiritual gifts. 
What does it mean for us to have spiritual gifts? How do we use those gifts? How does God function through the church in that? And so last week we looked at the diversity of the gifts that God gives. And now this week we're going to look at the purpose. Why does God give these gifts? And what we're going to find is that it's not to make us famous. It's not to make us stand out from the crowd. It's to make us common. To make us everyday folk. And so what does that look like for God to make us into a common church? That's what I'm going to look at today. Uh, let's look first at the common person. So if you're taking notes, the first point today is the common person. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul goes on like this. He says, to each, somebody say each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, let me remind you, if you missed last week, the context of what's going on in this church in Corinth. Corinth is a mess, to sum it up. The church is a disaster. They, they, sometimes people romanticize the early church as, let's go back to the early church. You, you don't want to go back to the early church, trust me. It was a mess. They, they had no idea what they're doing. There's chaos, there's division, and a lot of it kind of settles down into this one issue of they were arguing over what it means to be a spiritual person. What does that mean to be a spiritual person? And they were divided over the answer to that in all these different ways. And one of those ways is spiritual gifts. And some people in the church had decided that to be a spiritual person meant that you had a certain kind of spiritual gift. And for them, that certain gift was the gift of tongues. And, and so the gift of tongues turned inward and it made them this, this person that, that you were now the elite person and then there's everybody else. You got it? And so they had these categories, this, this caste system, if you will, of the people who had it and the people who don't. And Paul starts to argue against this attitude that's so prevalent in their church with these simple words, to each is given. To each, not to one or to some or to many or even to most, but, but he says to each is given. And then in the next sentence, he repeats nine times to emphasize that point. He says to one is given, and then to another, and then to another, and then to another, and then to another. Nine times he's, he's hammering home that point that this is for everyone. And so Paul gives this lengthy list of spiritual gifts. In fact, there's nine here in all. There's wisdom, there's knowledge, there's faith, there's healing, there's miracles, there's prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And like we talked about last week, he could keep going on, right? This, this is not an exhaustive list. In fact, I think sometimes we, we, we miss the point of the text here because often today people are so concerned about what the gift is. Like, what does it mean to have the gift of knowledge? Or what does it mean to have the gift of miracles? Or what, what is the nature of that gift? And what's fascinating to me is Paul just kind of skips on past it and he just lists them and then goes on to what he's really concerned about. Paul isn't concerned in this text about what the nature of the specific gift is. He's not trying to define them. He's trying to show you that there's a diversity of them. He's trying to show you that each of those gifts, listen to me, represents an individual person. That each of those gifts is a real, living, thriving person who's been gifted by God with that gift. And so they have a gift, 
and them and them and them and them and them and them and them. That's, that's the picture he's painting. The picture he's painting is every person is a spiritually gifted person. Now, if you've lived in Florida for any time, you are probably familiar with termites, right? Termites, they're everywhere in Florida. I'm sorry if you have a house, there's probably termites in your house somewhere, somehow. And so termites are the kind of thing that you don't really love at all. But if you think about termites, if you do a little research about termites, you can actually grow to admire them. Because what's incredible about termites is these little nuisances, they build incredible things. I mean, I was, I was reading this week about termites in the National Geographic, actually, and they, they were talking about how termite mounds can grow to 30 feet tall. 30 feet tall. And inside this mound, there, there are these, you know, extravagant, uh, you know, like stairways and tunnels and passageways and all these things that they move around and go through. And it's incredible if you were to open it up and see all the things that they build. In fact, something that tall considering their height would be like us building something three times the height of the tallest skyscraper in the world. I mean, for a termite, a 30-foot mound is incredible. They said over, over a year's span, they can move 300 pounds of dirt and 3,000 pounds of water. That's incredible. And they do all of this, listen, with, with no uh, centralized planning. There's no architects, there's no blueprints, there's no engineers. In fact, scientists say that if you were to put just a few termites in a little Petri dish, they would run around crazy until they die. Like, they they don't know what to do. But if you put enough of them together, and you make the conditions right, they can build a masterpiece. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying all these parts together in the church, you've been given a gift and you've been given a gift and you've been given a gift. Everybody has their gift that they bring together and every person together is essential. Now, this has a few implications that are incredibly important. Number one, this means no one is without giftedness. We said it last week, but we're going to say it again and probably next week. That there's this sense that uh, if, if you follow Jesus, you, you have divided yourself into the people who have gifts and the people who don't. And what Paul is saying is if you follow Jesus, that means you have the spirit of God living in you, which means you have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts, whether you've been following Jesus for five decades or for five minutes, you have spiritual gifts. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know that, that there is this, this assumption maybe in our culture that gifts are for unique people or for special people, but I want you to know it's for the common person. It's for every person. Every person who follows Jesus has a gift. Now listen, that means, number two, that means no one is without purpose. No one in the church is without purpose. Now, you might hear that and you think, well, I mean, don't we, don't we pay the pastor to do things? Don't, don't we pay the staff to do things? Sure, absolutely. I mean, that, that is part of it. But listen, what, what Paul is saying is just because there's a stage and there's, there's noise and there's Instagrams in church. I mean, in our Western culture of the church, there's so much that we make a big deal about. 
And we, we consider that the person who's on the stage and the person who's on the Instagram photos and the person who's doing all the things that, that are loud and big, that person must be the person who has the most purpose. And that is not at all God's economy. God's economy is purpose isn't determined by your position, but by your posture. It's this humble posture where you say, God, I, I am yours. Here I am. Take me. Do, do whatever you want with me. You've given me gifts. You've given me passions. You've given me things. You've, you've given me purpose in this church. What do you want to do? How do you want to use me? And it's every single person. And third, it means that no one is without responsibility. No one is without responsibility. If you have a gift in the church, you have a role in the church. That's, that's what he's saying. And, and again, uh, if this were the YMCA, where you, you pay somebody and you receive a service for your payment, that would make sense that you, you pay people to do those things. But let me tell you, the church is not the YMCA. The church, as the scriptures describe it, is, is a family. It's a body. It's a flock. These are the images that the, that the New Testament uses to describe the church, that, that we are a people, we're a building. We're, we're not this uh, organization that, that gives you goods for your participation. In fact, the way the New Testament describes it is Ephesians 4 teaches that the leadership don't just do ministry, but we equip the saints for the work of ministry. We, we all together are doing this work. And so what I'm saying and what Paul is saying is there's a responsibility that we all have. It's a responsibility to one another. And so we're gifted, we're given purpose, and then we're given responsibility. And then what does that mean for what we're supposed to do with that, right? So this is who it's given to, but what do we do with it? This is the, what I want to look at second. Look at the common good. And this is the second point, the common good. Look again at verse 7. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, listen, for the common good. You hear that last phrase? For the common good. It's a fascinating word in Greek because it's actually just one word for those two words. And, and the Greek word Paul uses is sumphero, which means to bring together for mutual benefit. And in fact, the word was used in their government. It, it was a word that was kind of a civic word where basically people would come together to do something and achieve something in their civic arena that they couldn't do by themselves. And so the idea was, if I couldn't do it by myself, I'm going to come together with all these people and we're going to bring together ourselves for the mutual benefit of everybody. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's basically giving balance to what he just said before. Because what he said before is, to each person is given this gift. But now he's saying this is not just about each person, this is about all of us. And so it's, it's kind of this both-and situation. On one hand, every spiritual gift is individual. It, it's given to you as a person, and so it's an individual gift. But on another hand, it's deeply communal. Because it's not given to you for you. It's given to you for us. You see how that works? It's given for the mutual benefit, for the common good of everybody coming together. And later in chapter 14, Paul is going to expand on this communal purpose because what happened is the Corinthians had taken that gift, which is not a bad gift, this gift of tongues and prophecy, and they had turned it inward. 
and made it all about themselves. So the problem wasn't the gift. The problem was how they were using the gift, not outward. And so he says in chapter 14, 12, he says, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, listen, strive to excel in building up the church. And so what he's saying is, it's, it's, not, it's not that the spiritual gift doesn't have any benefit to you at all. It's that that's not the primary benefit. The primary benefit is that God would build up his church. And so spiritual gifts are given to give away. They're, they're given to you that you might give them away. You may have heard of uh, J.R. Tolkien, uh, the author of the Lord of the Rings, famous books and movies. But you may not have heard of a lesser known book by him. It's a lesser known short story called Smith of Wooten Major. And it's this fantasy world where there, there's a young man, a young boy by the name of Smith Smithson, and he eats this cake. And this cake has a magical silver star in it. And when he eats the cake, the star goes into him and uh, it, it gives him these magical powers and he's able to travel to these far off magical lands and he has all these fantastic journeys and adventures and all these things. And it turns out to be this incredible experience, right? And so Mr. Smith, he's like, I, I would never trade this for anything. I've been given the greatest gift I've had in my whole life that I can do these incredible, powerful things and have these amazing experiences. And so he's been given this gift, but then later in life, he meets a man named Alf, who's the master cook. And Alf happens to be the one who baked the cake and put this magical star in the cake. So in a sense, Alf was giving the star to Mr. Smith. And now Alf comes to talk to him about the star. And in the story, there's this fascinating exchange that I think speaks to what Paul is saying. He says this, Do you not think, Mr. Smith, that it is time for you to give this thing up? Smith replies, what is that to you, Mr. Cook? And why should I do so? Isn't it mine? It came to me. And may a man not keep things that come to him? And then Alf says, some things, those that are free gifts and given for remembrance, but others are not so given. They cannot belong to a man forever, nor be treasured as heirlooms. They are lent to you. You have not thought, perhaps, that someone else might need this thing, but it is so, and time is pressing. You catch that? What he's saying is this. Some gifts, or God's gifts, are given to give away. There are gifts in your life that you receive and you take, and they're for you, but there are some gifts that are given to you that are not for you. They're given to give away. And listen, what happens in our spiritual gifts is in our pride, we think that our gifts are for me alone. My gifts are for me. And we, we turn inward and we make everything about us. And, and we might even use our spiritual gift. We might even use it. It doesn't mean that you don't use it and you keep it to yourself. You'll use it, but you'll only use it when it's to your benefit. You'll only use it when it, it builds you up and it makes you popular and it makes you seen and it makes people praise you. You'll use your gift when it makes you the center of attention. Because we want to benefit. We want to be promoted. We want to be recognized. We want to have the influence. We want to push our agenda and our opinions, right? And listen, what happens when, when that begins to be your approach to your spiritual gift, anger is not far behind. Because the moment someone doesn't recognize you, you're frustrated. 
The moment they're not grateful for what you did with your gift, you're bitter. You hold a grudge when, when someone didn't meet your expectations of how you thought you should use that gift. You see how that happens? Because the gift has become about you. My gift is about me alone. But then you got the opposite problem, right? The opposite problem is that my gift isn't for anybody. It, it's not for me alone. It's not for anybody. I, and what happens here is there's this deep-seated unbelief and, and despair that, that you are, are deeply insecure about the gift that God has given you. To the point that you, you may even believe you don't have any gifts. And for many people, I think this comes from being told your whole life, you're not going to amount to anything. God hasn't given you anything special. God hasn't gifted you. God hasn't blessed you. God, God doesn't want to use you. And you've started to believe that lie about yourself. And because you believe that lie, you, you can't act out the gift that God has given. You can't live out that. And so what happens is if, if pride leads us to be angry, this, this fear and insecurity leads us to be empty. Because we're not using the gift that God has called us to use. I want you to hear what Paul is saying is, fear not, you have been gifted. God has gifted you himself. And so what does faith look like that overcomes this pride and this fear? Faith believes that my gifts, listen, my gifts are given not for me alone, and they're not for, for nobody. My gifts are given to love others. That's what your gift is given for. See, faith believes that this is exactly what Paul is arguing in the next chapter, the famous love chapter in chapter 13. Right after this chapter, it's connected to the spiritual gifts. Paul is describing what the purpose of the gifts are, right? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying, I can have the gift, but if I'm not using it for love, I'm missing the purpose of the gift. And that goes for any gift. That goes for prophecy and miracles and all the things he lists here. But it goes for any small gift, any, any hidden gift, any, any gift that you think is not that important. Whatever it is, God has given it to you to give, to love. All the gifts, they find their fulfillment in love. And so we build up the church in love. It's the way God loves his church. God gives people gifts to love his church through us, through us. And so where does the power for that love come from? Let's look at the common spirit as we close. The common spirit. Look at verse 11. Paul closes this paragraph. He says this, all these, all the gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So you may have noticed back in verse 7, Paul uses different language here when he talks about the spiritual gifts. He says they're manifestations of the Spirit. Manifestations of the Spirit. And what he's doing here is he's switching the language to, to change the emphasis. He's switching the language to change it from an emphasis on the gift itself to the giver himself. He's saying that this this gift, this, this thing that God has given you, it, it's a manifestation. The word manifest there in Greek means to reveal, to appear, to show. It, it means that it's showing something that you couldn't see before. In fact, the word was used in Greek mythology to describe a, a hidden God that was unknown, now making itself known. And so Paul pulls this word out of Greek mythology and he applies it to the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is how gifts are working. 
Gifts are revealing, they're showing to you the hidden work of the Spirit among you. That the Spirit is already working when you can't see Him. He's, he's doing things that you're unaware of. He's, he's working in your heart. He's working in your family. He's working in our church. And then He shows Himself. He reveals Himself through the gift. This is the work of the Spirit. He, he's hidden among us, working among us. And yet Paul says the Spirit gives these manifestations as He wills. We ask, but He gives. He's sovereign. This is what he's saying. And so what is his will? What, what, what is the Spirit's will as he's giving these revelations, these, these uh, manifestations of himself? Well, Jesus tells us. He told his disciples in John 16 as he was uh, nearing the end of his time. He was about to, be tri- or about to be arrested, then tried, then crucified. And so they're in the upper room discussing things and, and having their last meal together. And Jesus tells them that when he dies, he's going to send them the comforter. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the comforter. And this is what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What Jesus is saying is, when I send the Spirit, you're not going to be alone because I'm sending the Spirit who speaks of me, the Spirit who shows about me, the Spirit who reveals me. In other words, here's, here's the logic going back to Paul. The logic is the gifts show the Spirit, but the Spirit shows Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to show off the Son. In John chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus, he's this uh, high-ranking official in the Pharisees. He's, He's a religious professional. He would be the guy that you would look to for religious counsel and, and, and help in how you can have a relationship with God. And he thought he had it all together. He thought he had a great relationship with God. He thought he knew the Bible. He thought he had a great prayer life. And then he came into contact with Jesus. And when he hears Jesus speaking, and when he sees Jesus living his life, something about Jesus was different. Nicodemus began to probably reflect on his life and think, my my relationship with God is all about rules. My relationship with God is all about making sure I don't mess up really bad and making sure I do all the right things and keep my life in order. And when I look at Jesus, there's freedom. When I look at Jesus, there's intimacy. He calls God Abba Father. There's something different about Jesus. And so Nicodemus decides, I got to go talk to this guy and find out what's different about him. And so in John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes in the middle of the night, probably so he doesn't get caught. And he goes to talk to Jesus and Jesus immediately cuts to the chase because he knows why Nicodemus is there. And this is what he says to Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused right off the bat. What what are you talking about, Jesus? This sounds like some kind of strange thing. How does a man go back into the womb of his mother? What are you talking about? And so Jesus clarifies what he's saying next. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everyone who's born of the Spirit. See, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is is there's a different way of spiritual life here, Nicodemus. What you've made it about and what, what the Pharisees have made it about is all the things you do. But you can't control the Spirit. You're not sovereign. 
He is sovereign. And where the wind blows, it blows. And when it blows, the Spirit will will bring new life. It will bear new life. And so he's saying to him, your self-salvation project, it's not going to work. Your your attempts to try to earn your way in, to to have the favor of God, it's not going to work. It's It's going to take the sovereign work of the Spirit. He blows where he chooses. He pours out his gifts where he wills. And our role is to receive. It's to receive. Imagine for a moment that you, uh, you decided one day you're, you're going to just learn how to sail. You, you, you've been watching some TV commercial and you saw some happy people sailing out on a lake or something. I don't know what it is, but you decide you're going to learn how to sail. And so you decide the next day you don't really know what you're doing, so you got to learn because you don't know anything about sailing. So you start reading some books and some articles and you watch some YouTube videos and, and you decide I'm going to learn as much as I can for a whole day about sailing. And the next day you're going to go rent a sailboat. And so the next day after learning all these things, you've talked to trusted advisors and expert sailors and you, you've looked up these videos and then you go rent your sailboat. And you look it over and you make sure everything's the way all the videos said it should be. And then you take the sailboat out to the water and you launch it out onto this beautiful lake. The scenery's perfect. The weather's beautiful. Everything's great. And you get in there and you follow every step, step by step by step by step. And then you hoist the sail up into the sky. And at that precise moment, you realize something. You can study sailing. You can, you can know everything about it. You can talk to the most expert people in the, in the industry. You, you can figure out everything there is to know. And you can hoist the sail perfectly. But, and this is a big but, you can't make the wind blow. Only God makes the wind blow. Only God makes the wind blow. This this is what Jesus is saying about the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying about the Spirit. You can ask God for his gifts. You can ask God for his work in your life. But it's going to be him who does the work. The Spirit's work is to show us Jesus. And the way we know his wind is blowing is that Jesus is being lifted up. We can see his wind blowing when Jesus is lifted up in his love for sinners. When Jesus is lifted up in his patience for our failures, when Jesus is lifted up in his attention to the marginalized, when Jesus is lifted up in his grace for the forgotten, when Jesus is lifted up in his beauty for all of our brokenness, when Jesus is lifted up, the spirit is at work. The wind is blowing because he pours out his gifts as he wills to bring about Jesus's glory. The Spirit's work is is to blow into the empty sail of our soul this this, uh, life-giving gospel wind. And so do you need him to blow? Do you need him to work in your soul today? Because the the way Paul wants us to hear this is it's not for the unique person. It's not for the special person. It's not for the standout student. The work of the Spirit is for the common church. It's for the common person. It's the person who says, I'm desperate and I need you. I I need you, God, to fill me. I need you, God, to breathe your life into me. I need you, God, to change me. And when you do that, he shows up in his sovereignty, in his beauty to change us.
to transform us. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray you would breathe on us. Breathe on us the newness of life. Transform us from the inside out. Not just the gifts that, that you give that, that we might be a blessing to others, but God, the, the greatest gift, your very presence living and abiding in us from which all these gifts flow. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be lifted up with all of our gifts, that as they manifest the Spirit's work, that they would do their work to bring glory to you. Whether those are gifts that we use in our homes, at our jobs, in the church, at a nonprofit, wherever we may be, the gifts that you've given us, may they bring glory to Jesus as they're meant to do. Use us in that way, God. Here we are, humbling ourselves before you, asking to not be standouts or special or unique, but that it would just be common people for the common good that you might get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.